0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to, with me to Second Kings chapter nine. 2 Kings chapter nine. Now, before we get into that, I've got a scripture they're going to pull up on the projector up here. I want to share with you. If they have it ready, if it's in Ecclesiastes three. It says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Verse 8 goes on to say, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time of peace. I read you that scripture because I believe that we've reached that point in the United States of America and the Christian church that it is a time for war. The devil throughout history has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The Bible makes that clear that he has nothing good for God's people. He infiltrates nations who were once founded on biblical principles and truth. He wants to rid that nation of God and the influence that he has upon his people. He wants to infiltrate your homes, come in and steal and kill and take your families, destroy your marriages. He has nothing good. He hates you, the Bible says. Why? Because he hates Jesus. The devil comes. He has nothing good for you. He wants to hold you down. He wants to beat you down. He wants to defeat you. As Jacob said, you're going to face battles in your life, especially when you're a child of God. He wants to destroy everything that God has already tried and bought and purchased to give you. He wants to destroy that. He wants to take you down. He wants to hold you down if he can. It was no different throughout the history of Israel and the nation of Israel and God's people. And much like in 2 Kings chapter 9, it is today in the United States of America where the devil had worked through the leadership. Of that nation, he had infiltrated and worked through wicked kings. Now, in times past, and in the prior, there was times when the devil would come in and he would raise up these wicked kings to persecute God's people, to try to bring them into bondage, to try to uh, carry them away to their own lust and involve them in all sorts of sin and wickedness. But in them dark times, God always had a remnant of people who would stand for truth. Amen? God always called someone who would stand for truth and bring back God's people to truth. And to stand for what was right. And to bring that nation who had fallen into darkness back to the light. That's what the scripture tells us. Now, in Daniel's time... God raised up Daniel, who was a young man. We went through that. If you've been here and you've listened to me preach before, I've been going through this series of people God uses. And, and the reason is, is because God has a purpose for each and every one of you here. He didn't save you to just come and sit in a pew to pay bills and die. There was a meme I sent my brother and there was a guy out camping and he was just living a simple life and he was enjoying his life and, and and on that meme it said, You were not born just to pay bills and die. Amen. But see that's that's exactly what people are doing today. We we we're just we're involved in all sorts of things of the world and and we just we don't have that hope and that zeal that we once have had. And that's what the devil wants for you. He wants to take away your joy. He wants to rob you of that. He wants to rob you of the life that Christ came and and gave you. Christ said, I I come to give you life and life more abundantly. We're supposed to live that life. Yes, and I know some things may not come here on this earth, but they come afterwards in the life after this. But God wants a good life for you here as well. Amen? Now, in Daniel's time, God raised up a young man who was... uh, he was a bold young man who would stand for truth. We learned that in, in the books of Daniel. He made moral decisions uh, not to go down the road that the rest of the people would follow and involve himself in pagan worship and, and all of the things that uh, the rest of God's people were doing. And he made a stand morally. But Daniel also uh, served his country. He he was a uh, involved in politics and he through a moral life and, and servitude, he uh, was able to influence kings and rulers and bring the nation back to God through that servitude. In Samuel's time, Samuel spoke words of warning. He stood for truth. He, he declared God's word no matter what it cost him. And he warned the nations what would come, the judgment that would come if you don't repent and turn back to God. We've had that in our great nation where we've had the people that live the Christian life. They, they live holy and set apart, and, and they live peaceable with men as much as possible, the Bible says. And then we've had the people who came along in history who warned the nation. We warned the United States of America. Judgment's coming if you don't repent and turn back to God. Amen? But then there's a time, like it said in the Scripture... When we've lived this, we've worn this, and and God says enough is enough. And we've come to that point in the United States of America where we have allowed evil, we have allowed the devil to come into our homes, he's come into our nation, he's come into our schools, he's come into our government, and we need to declare that enough is enough. No longer can we sit back and be silent, but we need to go to war. The Bible says there's a time for peace and there's a time for war, and now is that time. That's what we're going to be reading here in 2 Kings chapter 9 about a man named Jehu. Now, Jehu was a wild man. He was a radical. He come out of nowhere. And Jehu stood for truth. Jehu was used by God to execute judgment on evil. And that's what God is calling for His people to do today. Amen. I believe that it is time for God's people to go to war against the evil in our lives and in this world. Listen, if you want to have a great marriage, you're going to have to fight for it. If you want your children to follow after the Lord, you're going to have to fight for them because the devil's come to rob you of them. He wants to indoctrinate them. He wants them to turn against you. Everything that God has for you and your home the devil is going to come against that and attack it every day and he's relentless so it's time for us to fight it's time for us to f- fight for your families Christians fight for what God has already given you amen in first king or second kings chapter 9 I'm way off my mess, my notes already so I'm sorry back there if the scriptures don't align but I want to give you the background here in this time of Second Kings chapter 9. Now who's heard of Jezebel? You ever heard of Jezebel in the Bible? She's like the wicked of wicked, right? Wicked woman. Now, I want you to understand something. Always behind these people is our real enemy, and that's the devil. The devil uses people. Our enemy is not the people. Our enemy is the devil. We need to recognize who we're fighting. In Ephesians 6, verse 12. Do you have that? Because I want you to understand something when I preach this, and I don't want you to take me wrong. Ephesians 6, verse 12. If they don't have it back there, I'll read it to you. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, always behind the demonic influence upon this world is the demonic himself. It's the one who uses people, uses men to rid nations of God and his influence upon that nation and his people. Now, what I want you to understand where I think Christians have gone wrong throughout history is that we make everything about the spiritual and we forget about the physical. See, I want you to understand something, that it's the spiritual world that controls and influences the physical world. So, yes, we fight and we war against the spiritual first. But if we don't have that, then what happens is, if we stop fighting spiritually, if we stop using the warfare that God has equipped us with like prayer and his word, then what will happen is the devil through spiritual and demonic forces will influence the physical world that we're living in. And what happens when God's people stop fighting the enemy, we're going to start turning against each other and we'll start bickering and fighting amongst ourselves. That's why you see church division and all that. Why? Because we've, we've taken our focus of off who the enemy is and what we're, we're warring against and we start arguing over stuff that really doesn't even matter. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do. He wants to start fighting and destroying ourselves so that we become weak and his job becomes easier. You know, that's what they talk about how you destroy a great nation like the United States is within itself. Uh, and, and that's exactly what the devil's been doing. He does in the church today. And in 2 Kings chapter 9, you're going to read, we'll read about a woman named Jezebel. And, and she is pictured as uh, just this evil woman that, that the devil has pretty much possessed and has used and is wanting to rid the nation of Israel of the one true God. He wants, She has one purpose, that is to destroy God's people. Take away their freedoms she wants to set up her the worship of her own self and she wants to control the outcome of her kingdom and her dynasty. Now, in second Kings chapter nine, we'll learn about two kings who were king one king was over Israel, one king over Judah. And because I'll probably pronounce their names wrong, I'll just tell you this. The king of Israel at this time was Jezebel's son, Jehoram. Or Joram. And the king of Judah was her son-in-law. And uh, Azahiah, whatever you want to call that name. And so she had set these people, they've become in rule here, and you can imagine what the nation must have been like. Now, these... this. This, her son was under King Ahab. It was his son. And you can imagine what kind of condition the nation of Israel was in when you had this kind of wickedness ruling in government. Yeah, exactly. Now, the Bible says that when the righteous are in rule, the people rejoice. But when wicked are in rule... The people mourn. So you can imagine that the nation of Israel was in a dark time, just like we face in the United States of America today. Wickedness is abounding everywhere. And God says, enough is enough. It's time for my people to stand. It's time for my people to fight. And I believe that there are some examples and some lessons that we can learn from 2 Kings chapter 9 and Jehu's uh, war upon evil. And I want to give you them today. And so look with me in 2 Kings chapter 9, in verse 1. It says, And Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Get yourself ready. Now, this is the first point I want you to make. God is about to make a change. He's about to shake up the nation of Israel. He's about to raise up a man named Jehu, you'll see in a minute, and he's about to change the course of history in the nation of Israel. He's going to rid the nation of Israel of the evil that has infiltrated it, and he's going to raise up a man who's going to bring his people back to the one true God. Now, God is calling people and Christians today all over the United States of America, all over the United States of America, I'm sorry, I had pre-workout today, this morning, and I'm all over the place. Amen? I was tired, didn't sleep at all last night, so I'm sorry if my words run together. You want to really worship, just drink some pre-workout before you come in. Well, you get high, up tough. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, God is calling people in the United States of America, believers all over, To rise up and to make a difference. And this is what we're reading here in 2 Kings chapter 9. But before that takes place, it comes on the scene. Elisha the prophet. He called one of the sons of the prophet. So what was taking place here was Elisha the prophet had basically like a school of prophets where he would train them and guide them in God's word and what the task that God had had for them. And so he gives one of these young prophets a task. He says, I've got a job for you to do. And it says, first he said, get yourself ready. You need to be prepared because you're about to deliver a message that's going to change a nation. You're about to deliver a message that's going to change the outcome and the history in Israel. You're about to deliver a message that's going to defeat all evil it's going to make a man rise up and go to war and go to battle and be victorious over the enemy, the devil. What is that message? Well, for us today, that message is the gospel. He says you need to be prepared because you have something that is so powerful that it can change lives. You need to be prepared. You need to be ready because when you share the gospel the hope of Jesus Christ in people's lives, you're going to see families change. You're going to see marriages healed. You're going to see children come to you. You're going to see men and women who will rise up through the power of the Holy Spirit and declare liberty to the captives. Amen? He says, you better be ready for that. See, I don't think Christians are ready. But God says, you need to be ready. Just like He says here. Because when Christians will do what every Christian is called to do, that is to proclaim the name of Jesus, to preach the gospel. We may not be all called to teach. We may all be all called to pastor. We may all be all called to teach a Sunday school class, but we're all called to share the hope of Jesus Christ and what he's did in our lives. We're all called for that. And he says, you need to be ready. You need to be prepared. See, Christians don't share the gospel Mostly because we're unprepared. We feel like we don't know enough. We don't study our Bibles. When we go weeks, maybe even months, and I'm guilty, I'm not calling anyone out here because I'm guilty myself. I'll go days because I'm get so caught up in work and, and the cares of this life and the world and all of the things that come with it. I forget to open my Bible for two or three days. I forget to really pray. Yeah, sure, I pray over my meals, and I pray before I go to bed. But I mean really praying and on my knees, begging God for the things that He's promised me. Begging God for the salvation of my children. Begging God for my marriage to flourish. And, and begging God for the salvation of my family members. And begging God to, to turn this nation around and have see, true revival here. Because listen, Jesus may come back at any moment. We don't know. But what if He doesn't come back right now? I have children growing up in this world. I'm hoping to have grandchildren one day. And I want to leave them a nation where they can freely worship like we have. Amen? And, And so he's telling us we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. We need to do these things that God's word tells us we need to do. We need to go to battle spiritually first. We need to be in prayer. We need to be reading God's word so that we can be ready in season or out of season, the Bible says, to share the hope of the gospel with others. People at work. Everywhere we come in contact, we need to be ready. And listen, I promise you this. When you're in God's Word, you're reading His Word and you're in prayer, it's going to flow out of you. It's going to come natural at that point. It's It doesn't come natural to us when we're not in the Word. When we're not in prayer. You know, imagine when you're in hunting season. We got that upon us now. How much naturally it's going to be to bring up uh, about what you shot and and what kind of bow you've got and and the bow hunts and all of the things that involve around it because you're in that season. You're in that time when you're practicing it. You're doing it. And that's what happens when we're in God's Word. Now, I want you to read on here and it says, this is what I want you to do. First, I want you to get ready. And that's get yourself ready. That's what Christians need to do. And then he says, In verse 1, take the flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. Now, I want you to understand that anointing oil in the Old Testament, I won't get into that doctrinally and all that stuff, but it always represents God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, or actually I'll just read Ephesians 1, verse 13, 13, it says, In Him, that is Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, that is what, believing in the gospel, then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So as a New Testament believer, as a born-again believer, if you've been born again and you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, then you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit already upon you. And he says, so I want you to go down, I want you to take this flask of oil, the Holy Spirit that's already, that you have possession of, and I want you to give that to someone else. I want you to proclaim what we said earlier, proclaim the gospel. And you know, when Peter proclaimed the gospel to the first Gentile, Cornelius in the Bible says something astonishing happened when Peter proclaimed the gospel and, and Cornelius believed that the Holy Spirit fell upon him. And a miracles happened. Lives were changed from that moment. See, people today, they believe that if they walk an aisle, they say a prayer, they're baptized, or they go through some ceremony, right, that their lives are going to change. But that's just not the truth. You need the Holy Spirit of God living in you. The Bible says the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. That's our guarantee of inheritance, the Bible says. That's how you know you're a believer. As the Holy Spirit of God comes in you, and your spirit is born again. Your life changes. See, when I was 26 years old, I experienced that for the first time in my life. And guess what? I got saved three times before that. In my mind, I went down, I said the prayer, I had the right answers. And then I would go through my life, and I would sin, and I would never see things change in my life and I prayed. I did all of the religious ceremonies. Even times in my life when I believed, like, God, I'm praying to you. But then there was no peace. I still felt dead inside. And I, every time I would sin or every time my life would go uh, and, and mad chaos would happen in my life, I would question and I would say, Lord, I need, if I'm not saved, I need you to save me. I'm, you know... And that's what happened throughout my life till I was 26 years old. And I finally understood the gospel. And I finally trusted Jesus with my life. And I gave my life to Him. And guess what? From that moment on, my life began to change. Because now His Spirit was within me. And He gave me strength. Oh, I went through the struggles and I still do. But now I have power to overcome it. See, that's what changes nations. That's what changes Marriages, that's what changes families, is the Holy Spirit within you. Giving you the power to overcome, giving you the hope, giving you all of the things that you need to have victory in your life. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now he says you need to share that hope and that truth with others. Now the second thing I want you to look at here is you need to realize who you are. Before you go to battle, you need to realize who you are. You know, I think about this, and I want to give you this. I just thought about this. was My son plays football for Westwood Little League Football. And their team stinks pretty much. Sorry, but they do. They hadn't won a game all year. And they have been fighting and bickering among them. They've been complaining about the coaching. They're complaining about their other teammates. They go out on the field, and and they're they're everywhere. They don't know what direction to go. There's no game plan, and nothing was happening. They were losing all their games. And then, this week, they were going to face the league's toughest football team, the Tyler Red Raiders. They're bigger, stronger, faster, three times the amount of kids. We haven't won to them in seven years. Not won, won, won a game at all. But something happened this week. Over the last week, their coach had been reminding them of who they are. Their coach has been reminding them of the power that's within them. If they'll work together together, if they'll realize who they are and the talent that they have, if they'll realize what they possess and they'll apply that to the game, they can be victorious. He says, I don't care what anybody else thinks. They've already counted you out. I don't care what maybe even you're thinking and doubting right now. And when you see them, you're going to probably even doubt more. Don't look at your circumstances, but if you'll fight together as a team, you'll realize who you are you can be victorious when we went to the game yesterday all the other age groups were getting murdered on the field 48 to 0 and these were these teams these other ones uh, age groups had won they've won some of them were 3 and 0 and ours were 0 and 3 and i'm thinking if they got beat this is going to be horrible caseen probably never want to play football again And I'm trying to make a pep talk of how to, you know, cheer him up when the game's over and he loses. Because he woke up that morning and he said, Dad, I prayed about it last night and and I just got a weird feeling that we're going to shock the world today. We're going to win. And I was like, "Good, good job, son. But just in case you don't, I'll buy you some ice cream afterwards. And you know what? These kids came out yesterday with a different spirit, a different attitude. And we watched them defeat the Giants in their lives, the Tyler Red Raiders, 38 to (laughs) 0. Amen? They shocked the world. All because of their mindset, and they realized who they were. And Christians can be victorious in in this day in the United States of America, we can take back our marriages, we can take back our schools, we can take back our families if you realize who you are in Christ Jesus. See, we don't realize who we are because we forgot about who He is. Amen? The Bible says in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I want you to see this. If you can pull that up. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, now this is speaking to the church. I want you to realize this. You are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Jesus. Do you realize that? The Bible says that you are children of God, that you are royal priest, that you are chosen. The devil doesn't want you to hear that. He wants to beat you down and tell you that, that you're a sinner. You know, you, you know, when you come to Jesus, he takes all that away. It says the Bible says that Jesus imputes his righteousness upon your behalf. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. Amen. And we need to grasp a hold of that. We need to realize who we are, that the devil's already defeated. That we need to proclaim the truth of the gospel. We need to proclaim who we are. We need to stand up in the face of the enemy and say, You must flee. That's what the Bible says. Amen. We've already had victory. You know, the Bible says that in the end times we will overcome the evil one by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. People, Christians, need to stand up today and realize who you are. The church needs to stop belittling people, judging people, Christians, and they need to be exhorting the brethren. That's the purpose of church. We need to remind you of who you are. Because if you'll realize who you are, that you are an overcomer. That you've been redeemed. You've been purchased. Then you can be victorious in your life. Amen? Amen. Power comes in our identity. And when we find our identity in Christ, nothing can stop us. Amen? Third thing I want you to realize is in verse, let me read on. It says, verse 2 says, Now when you arrive at that place, so he's given... I'm going to bring you back. Elisha the prophet. He has told this young prophet. Get yourself ready. I want you to take this flask of oil. And I want you to go to this place. Called Ramoth Gilead. What did Jesus say when he left? Go there unto all the nations. Right? And preach the gospel. Did you see that here? He says I want you to Go. And when you arrive at that place, I want you to look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi. And I want you to go in and make him rise up from among his associates and take him to an inner room and then take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, thus says the Lord. You know, I want you to understand that at this moment... Going back to your identity, at this moment, the nation of Israel already had a king, but God was about to raise up another one. Nobody even knew it yet. Jehu didn't even know it. He didn't even realize it yet. But thus says the Lord, this is who you are. And that's what Jehu had to realize here. But he goes on to say, take the flask of oil, pour it on his head, and say, thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. And then open the door and flee, and do not delay. Now, what a job. He said, I want you to go there, and this guy's probably going to think you're nuts. If you, we read on down, they think this young prophet's a madman because he's going there and pouring oil on this commander's head because he was a commander of an army. Jehu was at this time. And he goes on, he pours this oil upon his head, and he says, when you do, you need to run. Get out of there because he might kill you. But then he says in verse 4, this is what want to hone in. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, and this is a side note, I looked into who this young man may be, and Jewish history actually holds, we don't know for sure, but Jewish history holds to that this was Jonah, the prophet, as a young man. Pretty cool. You go study that for yourself. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead, and when he arrived there, Was the captains of the army sitting and he said, I have a message for you, commander. Then he arose and he went to the house and he poured the oil on his head. And he said to them or to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed you king over the people of the Lord over Israel. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master. So he goes to this young man named Jehu, this commander. He anoints him with the oil. And he says, now I have a message for you. I have a purpose for you. God is going to use you in a mighty way. And God sent me here today to remind you that God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for each and every one of you. And he has a message for you. I want you to look in Ahab's, or in Jehu's day, he says, you're going to strike down the evil that's in your nation. You're going to strike down the house of Ahab. I want you to look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity. God says, I've got a purpose for you. It's to strike down and take down the strongholds in your life. It's time for you to stand up and to fight for your marriages, for your families, to strike down the pain and the chains of addictions, You need to strike these things down. You need to strike down the sickness that's destroying your body, the the divorce, the chains of divorce that's in your family's history, and fight against the evil that's coming against you and your family. God has a purpose for you, and he's called you to a higher purpose than to just come to church on a Sunday morning. Amen? I want you to look at verses eleven through thirteen. This will be the fourth thing, and I'll wrap this up pretty soon in the next forty-five minutes or so. You know, here's the thing: I want you to understand. If all you do is come to church and you set up and sit there and listen to a pastor ramble on for forty-five minutes, you're going to get bored. But if you've come to hear from the Lord and to do something with it. Then, then we can leave this place and feel like we've been in the presence of the Lord. Amen? This We have a purpose for this. Now I want you to look at something. God's people also has a purpose, and they need to encourage God's calling in others' lives as well. I want you to look in verse 11. Then Jehu came out, to the servants of his master. And one of them said. Is all well? Why did this bad man come? And he said to them. Well you know the man in his babble. See this prophet's coming. Anointed him with oil. He said God's got a purpose for you. He's, he's got a message. You're going to strike down the evil. That's destroying our nations. That's destroying our homes. And Jehu's like. This guy's crazy. And the other ones are asking, what did he want? What did this guy want? What was the message? And he's like, ah, you know, the, you know the babble. A lot of times when we come to church, that's all we hear, right? The pastor's up here and he's proclaiming truth to your life. And the God's got a purpose for you and you leave. He's like, well, what'd you learn in church? What'd you hear from the Lord? Well, you know, same old stuff. That's kind of what was taking place here. But I want you to look at something important here. And they said, that's a lie. Tell us now what he said. So Jehu said, thus and thus he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I have anointed you king over Israel. I don't believe that. That's basically what's going on right here. But I want you to look at what his friends did. Then each man hastened to take his garment And put it under him on the top of the steps. And they blew the trumpet saying, Jehu is king. They believed it. They believed it. And guess what? They encouraged him. It says it goes on. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. He set out on his path then. Others came along beside him and said, you need to listen to what the Lord has to say. Whatever the Lord says, we believe it. They stirred up his gift. You know, in 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, Therefore, Paul said, I remind you, this is to Timothy, to stir up the gift of God that's in you. You already have it, but sometimes people need it stirred up. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be doing here today, is stirring up the gift that God's already given you and saying you need to use it. Some of you just don't realize yet what God is going to do in your life. Some of you need someone to come along beside you. Paul needed Barnabas, right? The encourager. Some of you need someone to come along beside you and say, Listen, we've seen it. God has called you. And he who began a good work in you shall finish it. Amen? That's what you need to hear today. God is calling you to a higher purpose. God has got a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. God is going to use you. You just need to be stirred a little. That's what I hope this sermon does. I hope it stirs you just a little bit so that you'll do something with it. Amen? Amen. And that's what Jehu needed. Jehu needed that encouragement. Jehu needed them to come along beside him to confirm what God had already spoken in order to put him in action and upon the path that God had placed upon his life. And so Jehu goes down and he creates or he uh, establishes all-out war on evil. In the nation of Israel and I won't read it for time's sake but if you'll go on and read that rest of that chapter there you'll see how Jehu he had no fear because God he knew like just like the Bible says God didn't give us a spirit of fear and he went with um, the power of the Lord and the Holy Spirit that was anointed upon him and he had victory over the enemies now in verse 16 through 18, I want you to look at what happened. And so Jehu rode in his chariot, and he went to Jezreel. For Joram, that's the king, one of the kings, was laid up there, and Isaiah, king of Judah, had come down to see him. So now you've got two wicked kings in the same place along with the one who was controlling them, basically, the one calling the shots was the Jezebel. They're all in the same place, and he's going Headed straight there. He's going to meet them. Now a watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel. God, let me tell you something. The devil's watching you. You know, Do you know that? The devil's watching what Christians are doing. He's watching to see what you're going to do with God's word. That's what the enemy's always doing. Watching to see what you're going to do. So that he can make a move. And I want you to notice what... The enemy does. So the watchman stood on the tower in Jezreel and he saw the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company of men. They're basically, they're heading this way and they look like they mean business. Because he goes on down and he says, this dude driving this chariot looks like Jehu because he drives furiously. This wasn't no uh, weak-minded person. He had a purpose and he was headed... In that direction. I see a company of men. So Jehoram the enemy king. He says. Alright get a horse. Or get a horseman. And send him out. This is what they would do. When they realized. That they could not defeat the army. That was coming against them. They would try to go. And make peace. With the enemy. They would try to make compromise. They would try to. They, this is what would happen. Now I want you to see what it says. So the horseman went to meet him. Or. Let me back up. So Jehoram said, Get a horseman and send him to meet them. That's God's people. And let him say, Is it peace? Do you come in peace? I mean, ain't, ain't that what Christians are supposed to do? Is be peaceable? Live peaceably? He goes on to say again, Jehu says, What do you have to do with peace? There is no peace with the evil one. He knew it was a lie. They were trying to get him to compromise. goes on down. The king sends out another one. Is it peace? I mean, come on, Jehu. Don't be a radical, right? You ever had somebody, when Christians stand up against the evil in the schools, against the evil in their home, against all of the stuff that's going on, they take a stand for whatever is going on? That's going against God's word and and you're labeled a radical? I mean, and they'll even use scripture against you. You remember how in the very beginning, that's exactly what the devil did when he tempted Eve. He used scripture. Did God say? He uses scripture. He reminds them. That's what they try to do. That's what the devil's going to try to do to hold you down. Stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Is it peace? And I want you to go on down and look in verse 21 through 22. Then Jehoram said, make ready. And his chariot was made ready. So what he sent out, his his riders, his ones to make peace. Jehu said, what do you have to do with peace? Turn around and you can follow me. And we're going to do battle. And so they did. So Jehoram says, make ready a chariot. And then Jehoram, king of Israel, and Azziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his own chariot, and they went out to meet Jehu. And they met him on the property of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And now it happened, when Jehoram saw Jehu, this is the enemy, when he saw Jehu, that he said, Is it peace? I want you to look what Jehu said. So he answers, what peace as long as the harlot trees of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many? So how can there be peace when evil abounds? See, that's what that's what the devil wants to instill in the minds of Christians is you're supposed to have peace. Obey the governing authorities. Remember that's what he uses scripture. Right? But then they don't tell you or read on about how God established the governing authorities and what their job and their purpose is. And when they get out of line, it's our job to stand up and correct them. Amen? Now, he says, how can there be peace? I want you to understand that you can't have peace with the devil. We cannot compromise. And that'll be my closing argument, my closing statement, as you will. God's people cannot compromise with sin. See, when you give your life to Jesus, it says a war takes place inside yourself. A war between your spirit man and your fleshly man. And these two are going to war against each other because one, your spirit man, wants to follow Jesus. He wants you to be holy and righteous and to establish that upon your family and to change the outcome of the history of your family. and He wants you to live prosperous and wants you to live righteously and holy and, and have no fellowship with darkness. But the other man, the fleshly man, goes to war because he wants the flesh, fleshly desires. He wants you to follow after the ways of the devil and all of the things that come with it. And this war takes place. And a lot of times when we make stands, we make bold stands and decisions that we're no longer going to follow after the things of the flesh and we're going to follow Jesus. The devil's going to come in and try to get you to compromise. He says, come on now, don't be a radical. You can give up the drinking and all of that stuff that you once did. Yep. Yeah, you can give up that stuff, but, but there's this one stronghold in your life. Just let me hold on to that. Hold on to that one sin. Don't quite give that up yet. Don't let anyone know you've been involved in that. Let's just hide that over here. Nobody's going to get hurt if you just hang on to that one sin. We all have that, right? But God's word is clear that God's people have no fellowship with darkness. We have no business in any sin. And we have the power to overcome sin. You know, I hear people all the time say, Well, I sin every day, Christians. Yeah, I'm a sinner, I fall short, and I sin every day. We we should never say that. We're going to struggle, but Christians have power to not sin every single day. I can say that you probably won't go your entire life without sinning. And if you say that, that's probably a sin. One time I was working with Randall, and, and he was... Talk, somebody was talking about music, and it was secular music, and they said something about, yeah, I like this this guy or that guy. And he said, what about you? And I said, oh, I don't listen to that stuff. I said, you know, I didn't. They oh, we're not all, you know, holy as you are. There were some of the guys there that were saying that. And we all have sinned, you know. And I said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I ain't sinned in seven years. And Randall said, that's a sin right there. No, that's a lie. And I was just joking. But, but the reality is that God's people shouldn't sin every day. We have power to overcome it. That's what the Bible says. And if you'll walk in His ways, you will find yourself going multiple days without sin. You're going to be tempted. The Bible says Jesus was tempted, but yet He did not sin. Amen? God's people cannot compromise with sin. So I want to ask you if you would stand with me this morning. And I want to close with this scripture, Ezekiel chapter 22 22:30 says, "So this is the Lord speaking." He said, "So I sought for a man among them, among the rest of the people on this earth, who would make a wall and would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land." That I should not destroy it. But I found no one. I pray that that's not what the Lord says today in the United States of America and His church. That I was looking for the man who would stand up. And stand in the gap. Who would make the difference. But I found no one. I believe that there are many men and women here who are willing to make that stand. You know. If you go on to read in 2 Kings chapter 9 verse 33, Jehu made a stand and he asked the other men, who will stand with me? And if you're going to make a stand, you're going to have to cast her down, throw her off the wall, Jezebel, throw the evil out of your life, make a difference, stand for truth, don't compromise. Would you do that with me this morning? Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray that you would just fill us with your spirit, God. Help us to go to war with the sin that so easily ensnares us. To realize who our enemy is. It's not our spouse. It's not our children. It's not the President of the United States. We know that we have an enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you have already overcome him. God, I pray that you remind us of who we are, children of God. We have the power to overcome the evil one, because of the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. God, I pray that you just fill us with your spirit, and help us to change the course of this nation and bring it back to you by starting a revival inside ourselves. God, I pray that we as Christians would make a stand against sin in our own lives, that we would war against our own flesh, that you would strengthen us in the mighty name of Jesus to make a difference in the lives of the people that we come in contact with, the ones that you have given us and called us to preach the gospel to. God, would you fill this place with your spirit? If there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray that your spirit would convict them this morning, that they would see you, that they would give their lives, they would trust in you and the blood that you shed on the cross, they would repent of their sins and follow after you, that you would save them where they're at, Lord. God, I pray that you would raise up a mighty nation to proclaim truth to this world. God, a Christian people, a church that would stand no matter who comes against them because we know that you've already gone before us and given us the victory. God, we love you. pray that you strengthen us in that and allow us to go throughout the rest of this day and the rest of our lives, God, fighting for our families, fighting for the freedom in this nation. For well, the ones we, who fought for that, we give you thanks. Lord, I thank you for the men and women who will stand up, tear down the strongholds in our lives, and who will be our accountability, who will stir up the gifts that you've already given us, God. God, we just love you and we thank you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.